Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, My name is Martin Henley. This is the Effective Marketing Company YouTube channel. And this is, I think we're up to episode number 28 of my talk marketing series. If you've spent any time here at all, you will know that I am on a mission to support you by giving you everything you need to be successful in your business. For me, there's only one way to be successful in your business. That's through your sales and marketing. So not only am I here giving you everything you could possibly need, I'm also dragging in everyone I can find, can convince to draw from them everything they need as well. So today's guest is a techie turned delivery manager turned sales manager, business development director. He's been customer facing now for 10 years. Um, currently, he is accelerating business growth through data-driven digital transformation as business development director for Softelligence. Uh, he was referred to us by Ben Bennett, who tells me that he is an amazing networker and hilariously funny. So no pressure whatsoever. Today's guest is Robbie Batty. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning, Martin. How are you? I am extraordinarily well, thank you. How are you? It's Friday, the sun's shining. Um, it's Saturday, Sunday. Bring it on. Bring it on. Good. You, you, are you trying not to be hilariously funny now because Ben told me you were hilariously funny? <laughs> uh, I think your true personality comes out. So you can only pretend to be something that you're not. Okay. I'm trying to be serious, though. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, let's see how we go with that. Okay, cool. Sure. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, I appreciate that you are incredibly busy um, because we've rescheduled this like two or three times. So I am really, really grateful that we are having this conversation now. Um so I'm interested in a couple of facets of this. I understand that you are a successful sales type person, proudly a sales type person these days, not your average sales type person. Um, but I'm also interested in the technological aspect. I'm interested in the business growth through data-driven digital transformation. You know, I'm yeah. interested in that. So I don't know where this is going to go. I never know where this is going to go. I've got four questions for you. Um, the four questions are the five questions. The first question is, how are you qualified to talk to us about either of these things, sales or digital transformation? Um, what's the second one? Ah, who are your customers and what is it that you do? How do you add value in their lives? The third question is, what is your recommendation for anyone who's looking to do better with their sales or maybe better with their digital transformation? The fourth question is, what should people read? And then the fifth question is, who can you put me in touch with who might enjoy to have one of these conversations with me? So question number one, how are you qualified to talk to us about sales and digital transformation? So digital transformation, it's, uh, 
it's been around forever really since we've had it there's always been a drive to automate processes uh, digitally transform your processes so if it was paper-based could that be uh, automated into a system of i'm not going to go into the basic benefits of that so digital transformation's always been around but i don't know how you feel about this martin so there are certain words that are endearing and certain words that are buzzwords and uh i would say at the moment especially within the lockdown uh there's been sort of a huge appetite and conversation around the world words digital transformation so won't dwell or focus on that i guess as you alluded to on my sort of uh banner header in linkedin is that company that i work in we do digital transformation so we can take these heavily intensive people-based processes or paper-based processes automate them drive value in terms of operational efficiency or drive you know positive value in terms of uh, revenue generation but i guess what's what's happened in the last couple of years or a bit longer than that is around data digital transformation so everyone we're all what did i do this morning martin uh i woke up i looked at my mobile i checked my bank balance i went onto linkedin i checked my email um sent some messages to some people looked at my calendar what am I doing? Our lives are so heavily based around uh, our phones, uh, around the laptops, the computers we use at work, but the sort of underlying glue, the things that brings it all together is that data. Why am I using, why am I, why, why am I subscribed to the YouTube channels that I am? Why do I have an interest? Why does YouTube show me more? Uh, of content that I want. They're looking at what I'm watching. They're looking at what I'm liking or commenting on. Um, they're analysing that data and they're trying to give me more content that they think would make me feel happy or drive value. So again, very broad brush data digital transformation. Um, we don't sell this to everyone. Uh, I like to talk about what your company's famous for. Uh, that kind of breaks down into a value proposition. So from a sales perspective, it's what you're selling, who you're selling to, why they should buy from us, why now. So what We have a number of value propositions around advanced analytics. We, predominantly in the UK, we sell these services to insurance businesses. So what does that mean to them? It means typically uh, when you start on any journey, you don't go big bang. You tend to start with a proof of concept or a discovery phase or actually even a really small project. It can be quite, everyone wants to make the most of their data, but again, it's, it's a scary big step for people to uh, actually think, well, where do we start with this? So again, I think what we do in my company and what I enjoy is uh, based on that value proposition, based on our advanced analytics proposition, we're trying to sell to a set of personas within the insurance business. So 
using marketing, go-to-marketing strategies, techniques. We're trying to find those people who we think we could deliver that value to. Sometimes it's the case that they don't actually know that the benefit can be derived. So when I was uh, when I was growing up, I went to university. Uh, it was a long time ago. There were some people who were using this thing called email. I, I wasn't curious. I didn't uh, see, feel or see the need to actually have an email account. Um, so I didn't have one for a year or so. But I started speaking to speaking to family, friends around the world, and they're like, want to stay in contact, can't always phone you because in those days it'd be expensive to do a call. And uh, they said, do you have an email address? I said, I don't, but actually I can get one at the university. Uh, so that was sort of like an unmet need that I didn't realize I had a problem there that I couldn't communicate to someone, but actually there was a solution out there. And I feel it's a lot like that with data. I think a lot of people think, we'll give you access to your data, you'll put it into a black box and it will tell us when the world's going to end, you know, when I'm going to die, how much money I'm going to make, when the next world war is going to be. But data science isn't like that. It's actually, people talk a lot about artificial intelligence and a subset of that is machine learning. Uh, Artificial intelligence uh, implies sort of like a godlike structure out there that you you ask a question to and you get this all-seeing answer, but it's not like that. The machine learning side, which we kind of focus on in our advanced analytics services, I would hate to say this after having a few drinks. It would be a nightmare to be able to say these words. But again, with these things, it's around statistical analysis. It's asking questions. And then using those questions to actually look at your data to see if you can answer them and find insight. So I'll give you an example in the insurance space because I'm talking really generic. Um, we So we typically build digital quote and bind platforms for brokers. What does that enable a broker to do? It enables them to, an example, you want to sell um insurance to people who have horses, equine insurance. You use a digital quote and bind platform for those customers to be able to get insurance for their horses and so on. Now, if that process goes through frictionless and seamless, uh, the customer's happy, the broker's happy, um, job done. Um, What though, if that what if you actually try to buy the policy and it gets rejected or you get asked a lot of questions, you get frustrated with the questions, you just want to buy something immediately because that's the sort of world we're in, there you've got a problem. Because from a broker perspective, they're in sales, they want to sell things. So if the customer journey is that it's not seamless and it doesn't happen in seconds or in minutes, Uh, they lose interest, they may not buy this from you, and they may not look for you for other uh, policies that they want in the future. So again, how does this tie to data and digital transformation or machine learning and advanced analytics? Uh, In sales, what we need to do is to have conversations with people, uh, not about technology or about our company, but You need to understand what someone's doing. You need to understand that problem. 
And again, it comes back to when I was talking about email. I didn't necessarily know I had a problem there, but if someone had said to me, if you if you had an email account, this would enable you to keep in contact with your friends. Uh, actually, I actually think, yeah, that's something I want to invest in. So around the data side, what I find interesting is, is speaking to people, trying to uh, find their problems, try and find why they're actually trying to talk to me and try and find that common ground. Okay, so that's interesting because I didn't know. I mean, I feel like I should know because in the real world where I make money, I'm a digital marketing trainer. So I've only really been aware of this idea of digital transformation for like the last six months is where it's, it's popped up on my radar. And I haven't really known what it is. But what it seems to be from what you're saying then is previously we would have described this as automation. Is that right? It's about automating, digitizing processes. So not just sales and marketing processes, but maybe um, production processes or account management processes or those kinds of things. You go to the bank. So I'm 44. Don't know why I'm giving that free data about myself away. But 20 years ago... um, People would, I would get checks in the post from people, friends or someone. What would I do with that check? I'd go to my bank. I'd have that checkbook, uh, paying in, uh, paying in book. I would go to the bank, wait in the queue, and uh, and pay the check in. After three to five days, that check would clear, and then I could withdraw that money and spend the money. That's an example of a process that. Martin, you're probably aware of some of the younger generation who are listening to this probably wouldn't, but that process, that's pretty cumbersome. Why is it cumbersome? I could get a a check on Monday night, but I'm working in an office uh, Monday to Friday. So when can I put that check in? Can't do it till Saturday, but the bank, it's, the bank's only open on Saturday from 9 to 12 o'clock. And most people are like me. They're working. The only time they've actually got is to go on Saturday. So Saturday, need to get up pretty early, put on some decent clothes, walk to the bank, queue for a long time and pay the check-in. And then the following week, um, I'll get that money with clear. That process has been digitally transformed. That was done many, many years ago. You've, well, we've eliminated checks now, but over time you could actually scan a check-in using an app on your phone. Uh, there were actually self-service machines that are available 24-7. So that check that I got on the Monday night, if I wanted to, I could walk to the bank, There'd be no one in the bank. I could use my bank card as a secure way of getting in to swipe to get in, and I could pay that check automatically. So, you know, digital transformation's always been around. As, Does as, that make sense? Yeah, certainly as long as there's been computers and IT in these in these businesses, then this has been the mission. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you're the person to talk to about this. You can tell me if you're not. But it's been occurring to me recently, I might have turned into my dad, somebody reminded me a couple of days ago, where it seemed to me that the digitization that we're seeing 
isn't necessarily improving the world. Like it might be making, like there are very clear benefits. Like you've said, checks were a nightmare, a disaster previously. Now I can transfer money in seconds. It will be in somebody's account in six minutes time. You know, so that clearly is a huge benefit. But I wonder, you see, I think, I think too much about these things. But I think about when you and I were kids and, you know, even just the idea of mobile phones, a mobile phone that we carry with us, you could be out. You know, you could phone, I could phone your house. I say, is Robbie there? And they'll say, no, he's out. And that is the end of it. So this, this mobile technology is like robbed us of being out. But I remember when I met my wife, we would go off and have adventures. It would just be the two of us. You know, if we run out of petrol, we'd be hitchhiking if we got lost. You know, all of this stuff, it would be, it would be, it would be an adventure. Whereas now, like you go on a date and it's a joke about how long is it before somebody's looking at their phone. And certainly into the second and third date, you're definitely both looking at your phones already. And then... I mean, I really do have issues with this. So maybe the, I can I just you. say this and it'll be out in the world. But I remember discovering music. You know, I got into my late teens and I discovered the Rolling Stones and I discovered David Bowie and I discovered T-Rex and all of this stuff that had gone on in the decades before. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, so I, I don't know if digitization is, is making life better or not overall, you know? I hear you. So there are... There are pros and cons, like everything. There are some amazing benefits, like, uh, you know, our mobile phones, it's got more processing power than the computer that took us to the moon. We've got that in everyone's hands. So in some ways, uh, it gives you freedom. But in the other ways, I hear you, it doesn't give you freedom. I feel with all this digitization, we should have more time. If we yes. look at those Star Trek analogies, you know, everyone's free. We've got all this technology, all this automation around us. We can be more creative. We can help each other. You know, society will get better. There'll be less poverty. The streets will be cleaner. But technology, I hear you, technology is actually driving uh, actually some unforeseen behaviours. When I was growing up, no one talked about mental health. It existed, but really that word has only like come into the vocabulary. This is just my opinion and I'm not here to, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it came about, I see it's sort of a path of mental health issues with mobile phones. And actually during lockdown, Martin, one thing that I've done is um, there were times when I was anxious, there were so there's a couple of uh, sort of habits that I've changed. I've switched all my notifications off. Well, why have I done that? What if someone phones me? Well, I'm working from home pretty much at the moment. I've got, I'm talking to you on my personal laptop. I've got my work laptop here. Uh, if someone phones me or someone sends a really important email, do I immediately need to know that I need to actually respond to that? No. So I hear you. This I don't feel like when we when we when I was growing up, we were bored. What did that mean? That would mean you'd have to entertain yourselves. You'd have to do something. Or you can sit there and be bored. You had three or four television channels. There's nothing to watch. What do you do with that time? 
me and my friends, we play cricket, we play football, we'd go swimming. Uh, we'd walk around the shopping centre looking at Nike Air Jordans, thinking, can my mum buy those for me and things? Um, so you kind of took those boring things and actually did things. Uh, now, though, people, I don't think you are bored. And look, I'm an example. As soon as I wake up, I need to check my bank balance. I checked it before I went to bed. What happened overnight that makes me feel compelled that I need to check my bank balance? Uh, my wife yeah. asked me, uh, you've, got, uh, you've got this meeting at 8 a.m. today. Is it still on? I kind of said in sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a huffy way, what, what would have happened overnight? But she's right, actually, Martin. Something could have happened overnight. But in the old days, you wouldn't know. But you could then send me a message or something to say, look, I'm really sorry. I'm not feeling well. Can yeah. actually do this. Uh, so it's digital. I mean, what we do with insurance companies, hopefully, it's about making the customer happy. But there are some other forms of digitization which I don't think are, are healthy. The fact that we are connected all the time. The fact that when I first started working, everyone would go to an office and I was a software developer. I used to wear a suit and a tie as a software developer. Could you imagine uh, telling a software developer now, um, working in a big company, look, it's mandatory that you put that suit on and you have an awful tie. Uh, and yes. stuff. So uh, there are things that have changed, but some digitization, what does it, it means we can do things quickly, but do you then take that time to take stock or do you then just go onto the next app? Or yeah. And, I, to a and, everything? and I think you're right. There is nowhere, I am never anywhere where I can't pull out my phone and be entertained you know and so if i sit down on a bus or a train or i'm um i don't know sitting in a car park waiting for somebody or if i go and eat fast food or whatever it is i can just put on my device and i can be entertained immediately and i think yeah i think that's interesting the 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 thing that's interesting to me about this is when i asked you before we hit the record button what your specialist subject is you told me it was relationships and it feels to me like the digital actually is to a large extent replacing relationships you know i hear you so i hear you, martin i i'm in sales yeah uh i have this stupid saying but i'm gonna say it to you people drink with people people buy from people so uh in the old days, Martin, we would actually go, we would come and meet. I actually enjoy doing that. The last couple of years, it's all been online. Um, I'm not saying you can't do innovation through a Teams call or, or through this means, but actually, when someone's buying something from your company, say they're buying a, a data solution from us, they're going to want to know what sort of person are you. Hello. Hi, Les. <laughs> so I think 
Yeah, digitization is sort of replacing. Um, when I first uh, would speak to customers or to prospects, you'd go and meet them. Or you'd have to like do a phone call. But um, actually now that's, well, phone calls, I guess, is something similar. Phone, instead of a phone call, actually, this is better than doing a phone call. You can actually see the person, you can see who you're actually talking to and see if there's any synergy between you. When someone buys something from you, are they buying from the company or are they buying from you? In the type of sales that I do, which is uh, B2B, people have relationships with you. I'm selling the company and what we could offer to them. And actually, I find benefit in actually doing that by actually meeting the people. Your body language, the type of conversation that you have uh, through this medium is different for actually meeting people. And speaking to some of my other friends in sales, uh, there's digitization of sales happening. You're right, Martin. Uh, digital marketing, uh, using things like LinkedIn Sales Navigator, instead of like phone cold calling, phoning people or sending a thousand emails, you can use tools like uh, to actually you know, based on the value proposition, if I was saying advanced analytics service to insurance companies, the insurance companies were a revenue of, say, 100 million. Uh, I need to find the CTOs in those organizations. I use something like LinkedIn Sales Navigator to actually say there are 2000 CTOs to sort of meet your profile. Some of them may already have a solution. Some could be looking. Some could be working with someone else. Some actually, our capabilities may not match to actually uh, their sort of uh, IT ecosystem. But so you need to do a huge volume of sort of outreach. Um, there are tools out there where you can send messages. You know, it comes across as really personal, doesn't it? You get these messages on LinkedIn from Robbie Batty and he's like, Hey, Martin, see that you're working at this really big insurance company in this role. I hope you're doing well, etc. I'd like to connect and be part of your network. Uh, wh wh where am I going with this? So over time, a lot of our roles, people in sales think <coughs> that we're never going to be automated. We're never going to be replaced. But a lot of the activities that salespeople do it is being automated, it is being replaced. So the job is changing. The that I come from a delivery background. You always I always had this stereotype of a salesperson with that slick suit. He had a bit of magic. He or she had a bit of magic and charm about them. And they just come in there and you know, give you a bit of that magic and charm. Um the job is because um because how to put this loads of people are coming up there are loads of ideas loads of problems so problems are becoming sort of like smaller and smaller you're trying to find the unique something unique that you can solve actually means that uh, people are having lots and lots of engagements just talking with lots of suppliers in the sort of olden days bigger companies would sort of do everything for you but I've I've got a phone. I've got I've got an Apple phone. Um, I've got um, 
Sennheiser earpods. I don't feel like I need to buy the Apple uh, earpods or or that to actually be happy. There's someone out there who's solving a problem for me that actually, actually, I'd prefer that to that product. So same in sales really you can't do everything for everyone so people are talking to people which means it's now becoming more common for people to speak to a lot of people and a lot of that sort of outreach is being uh, automated uh, yeah yeah so that's interesting finding links. yeah because at one time in my life it was about 20 years ago already um i was selling it solutions i was selling it to big finance houses in South Africa. And it was a compliance solution. So it was at the time that know your customer and the big money laundering um, legislation had just come in like globally. So I had at that time, four, this is pre-LinkedIn obviously, there were 47 businesses that I could possibly sell this solution to. So I literally cold called these 47 businesses from the receptionist worked out if they had a compliance officer if the compliance officer was on the board da, 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 who they were when i was going to get hold of them got hold of them and had like conversations with all with probably 42 out of the 47 yeah, got invited into whatever it was 25 of their businesses to have more of a conversation you know that was grossly inefficient probably but still effective you know i don't know yeah. i mean I it. you made the effort there's yes. a human force behind there um however here's a question to you if i i told you i'm a people person however if i don't recognize the mobile number on the phone i generally won't pick it up because i've had some negative experiences where someone would go, is this Mr. Batty? They don't obviously know your first name. And they're like, well, we're looking at our records. You're, you've got a virus on your computer or you've got this or that. I don't want those calls. So I'm a bit nervous about if I get a text message or a phone call nowadays to actually answer that because I don't want someone to like sell me double glazing to go, I'm in your area. Could I come round? I'm standing outside your house. I can see you. Uh, would you open the door? Could could I sell you double glazing? So I think those cold calling techniques, I think people are nervous about, they're almost like, how did you, how do you know who I am nowadays? Yeah. How do you know who I am? How did you find my number? And what else do you know about me? I think people find that disconcerting. So this sort of outreach of like using automated messaging through trusted platforms like LinkedIn, etc., is a sort of way of filtering people. I yeah, don't know how you feel about that. Will you answer the phone if you don't recognise the number? Well, worse than that, I spent 10 years of my life not doing it exclusively. I spent the first three years of my career cold calling people. You know, so now, so I'm not answering your question directly, but I'm talking to the point, I think. Now, yeah. I don't call anyone without messaging them in advance to say, are you around, are you up for a chat? You know, so I won't so, call my best friends on the, on the planet because, without checking first that they're cool for me to call. 
because you know that's the way it's evolved so i do the same yeah my so, friend my friend in america that i worked with i can look at the time difference using my phone seeing yep. what the time is where he lives but you're right he may be everyone's so busy it kind of feels like feel like a middle-aged man here which i am actually so we are uh, we I'm, both are i'm a little I'm bit ahead of you yeah, we're qualified to talk about this. We've got PhDs and black belts, but uh, it's the same. I tend to message someone and go, are you free to talk? And they're like, is it going to be a long conversation, which is normally a silly conversation about crazy things, what you're up to, or is it a short thing that you need someone? And like, yeah, and it, it you know. So people I, are qualifying that conversation before they agree to have it with you. Like, so you see, yeah. this is where I think it's become... We're telling to, ourselves to each other. Yeah, and I think this is where it comes round because I think people are more anxious about everything. You know, so anxiety yeah. is clearly up and, uh, you know, all those horrible statistics are clearly up. So people are anxious about everything. So like you're, like you're saying, like the, the fraud that you might fall victim to on the phone is more sophisticated than it was previously. But if you're, if you, a 44-year-old ex-tech, is anxious about receiving a call from someone saying you've got a, something, you've got a virus on your computer, how does a 70-year-old widowed at home alone female feel from taking those calls, I suppose? So, but I think me, they're more likely to answer uh, because they're probably more lonely. And yeah, feeling, and they don't you know, know that people are supposed to text them before they, they call, you know? Yeah. They yeah. don't know the golden rule. Yes. Yeah. So what's the thing about this? So the thing about this is everything, I'm, I'm a relationship seller. Like my style as a salesperson was like from the very first sales job I ever had, I actually did before that some um, double glazing cold calling, which were not for very long whilst I was at Sixth Form College. But my first you made post- ten million pounds from it, but it wasn't making you happy, so <laughs> you retired at the top. I decided to go to university anyway and and do politics <laughs> for three years. <laughs> so, what's the point about this? The point about this is, my first sales job. I was selling advertising, like we were cold calling and selling advertising. It was like established B two B, like proper, but it was a boiler room type situations. It was all relationship, you know. Nobody cares so much about where they're spending their advertising. So what I learned in my first job is you need to become mates with these people. You know, you need yeah. it to get to the point where when they answer the phone to you and they realize it's you because they didn't know then who it was who was calling them, then they would yeah. um, then they would enjoy that conversation, you know, and it, and it might cost them a bit of money, but they'd be doing some advertising which they need to do and they're having a nice chat with their mate, you know. So everything I've sold has been about relationship and I just worry that even like relationships, even close relationships are less close and less available than they might have been previously. So if you're a salesperson, yeah, you don't go to the top. You, where do you do? Generally in any sort of, uh, any sort of profession, you start at the bottom or you may, you know, maybe in the middle, but say in sales, you start at the bottom, say you're doing, you're selling SaaS software. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what the, typically that's div, done by uh, a sales development rep. What, what's their job to do? 
they'll go out there, they'll cold call, email, send LinkedIn messages. Yeah. Now, so they're, they're, they've got their prospect lists and there's actually software they can use to generate prospect lists. So everything's been automated. Everything's been automated. Um, so sales development reps, they'll use LinkedIn, you know, and send 10,000 messages going, we can help you find more leads or something. Um, if they become really good at that, that they book meetings for the business development, the sales executive, then they become a sales executive. The sales executive speaks to these prospects. In the olden days, you'd meet face to face, but typically it's over Teams or Zoom, and you try and build a rapport beforehand, send an email, or you know, give a voucher, or like, look, you know, here's a ten-pound voucher for a coffee shop. Really looking forward to talking to you. They'll try and qualify what your problem is before you speak to you, and try and give you a demo. And if you're really good at converting those leads into opportunities and closing them, you may become a sales manager. And then if you're etc etc you move up the chain to the point where you know the sky's the limit in the future those sales development representatives could that be replaced could you uh could it all be done online could it all be automated if you take out the fact that uh people aren't calling each other and it's mainly done through them getting your email on LinkedIn or sending you a message to your, you know, your LinkedIn messaging area. Do you need a person to do that? So sales is going to change because we are going to automate it. Uh, but then, so then what happens as a salesperson, if you've never started at that bottom, if you've never made the calls, You've never had to go out there and find prospects. Is that, do you need that? Do you need that to actually become, um, you know, a sales executive? I kind of think with everything, the more you know about that end-to-end -end process, the better really. But in the future, if that's all done for you, I kind of feel that for me, we're always learning, aren't we? Yeah, I've and actually I... learned something today that actually I'm not alone in the sense that kind of nervous in terms of like picking up the phone or I'll actually message my people. I kind of thought, why do I do that? But actually, Martin, it's it's interesting to hear that you do that. But in terms of sales, it will get you automating that bit. Yeah. What's to stop the other bits getting automated? What's yeah. to stop someone just going to a website, watching a video, and then clicking and buying the software? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you're right. If you don't have that, like that's where you cut your teeth. You know, where you do the work to understand the work that goes into identifying a prospect and building a relationship and understanding that their situation and you know building a proposition that that meets their needs or their desires if you don't go through those development stages then are are you going to be are you going to be capable of doing whatever the senior bit of that is you know so i or think that's interesting people, or managing people in the process effectively if yes. you just think the process is uh we'll just use um some software that just sends out 10,000 messages a day. Wow, that's a lot. Well, that's 50,000 a week. 
from that, if we get 1%, you know, we'll be really lucky. If you just think it's like that, you're not going to be successful, are you? No. Even using that software, what messages do you send to people? Can you, we know this as well, uh, but say, I'm not, I don't think I'm giving the tricks away here, but I'm, I, I think people that generally, someone connects with you on LinkedIn, uh, they never sell to you on the first message. They never go, hi, Martin, I'd like to connect with you and I'd like to talk about an opportunity of selling my software to you. People never do that. What do they do? They, I'm not giving this away. Everyone does this. I think it's unwritten rules that people, if you're on LinkedIn, then I think you've kind of uh, accepted that people go out and reach to you. What do people tend to do? It's it's what that sales development rep would do. They try and connect with you. Yes. And, and say, I'd like to join your network or you're working in this area or in this role. That's interesting. Uh, like to, I'm curious to what you do. Something that sort of, you know, makes you think, fine, you're not, you're not trying to sell to me. Connect. Yeah. So and the... the second message, they're like, I know something about your business, what you're doing. You've got this pain point or this problem. Here's actually how we've helped people like yourself or organizations like yourself. Um, you know, it comes to that email thing. Are you yes. interested in speaking to your cousin in India? Yes. Tell me how I can do it. I'm really interested. And then, you know, so you build that, don't you? But we used to do that in person. That first meeting you'd meet or that cold call, if you were successful, you may then meet for coffee or meet in an office or meet somewhere. But that second meeting, you're not going to sell, are you? They're not going to, on that second meeting, after you successfully cold called them, or sent that automated message, people aren't going to immediately buy on you. There could be instances where they do based on the brand and credibility. Uh, you know, there are powerful brands out there uh, that people are, are aware of, but you have to like build that. So even with the automated process, you still, it's replicating what a human would do. So if you never did it, how can you tell the software? Well, the software is configured, people are doing it for you, but the software isn't going to guarantee you a win. Me driving a fast car isn't going to make me a great driver. It's got all these aids. But if I still go into a corner at 100 miles an hour, there's still a chance, the risk that I could kill myself or hurt someone. So I do worry about that, Martin, that, uh, you know, how do you... You can't just rely on the software. You can't rely on the, you can't space. rely on the software. The thing is, what's going on is that maybe these AI script writers are getting better and better and better. They're they're um, they're fielding thousands of results, whatever, analyzing thousands of results. But what's also happening is that the receivers are becoming more and more skeptical. And because the and what they're doing is they're being conditioned to respond to bots, whether they know it's a bot or otherwise. So they are becoming ruder and ruder and ruder. I think, you know, when you're communicating with somebody through a text, they are they are 
multiple times ruder than they would be if you were speaking to them face to face because we don't speak to each other like that. But the way we text each other is very different. And what's happening, I think, because so much of this activity is going on through bots, is people don't even know if they're dealing with a human being or not. Um, And so there's no filter. Like, why not be rude? But the thing is, as as the bots get more, supposedly get more sophisticated and clever and more effective, then the market gets more and more skeptical. So what I'm um, in mind of is, I don't know if it was Siri or it was the Google Assistant, but they came out and they said, okay, now you can book a hairdressing appointment um, through your phone assistant. So basically you can say um, to your phone, book me a hair appointment for Tuesday at 10 o'clock and they will call the hairdresser, the salon, and, and actually have a conversation with the person and blah, and you know the, the 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 appointment would get booked. I haven't heard much about this since. I think this was three or four years ago. So obviously, I saw the application for cold calling. Why not? Because a, an AI isn't going to take no for an answer as easily as a salesperson, and maybe they're going to have better answers for all the responses. And but then immediately that happens, then someone's going to develop a cold calling receiving service so it's just going to be bots talking to each other which then makes you no think interaction. so we'll, we'll we'll live in a house martin where uh all right or, or you could work in a company where you don't meet anyone in your company everyone's working remotely yeah yeah so uh, but you're communicating but it's not face-to-face communication we are hunter gatherers. We were in tribes. Our we were hard, our wiring was sort of from fifty to seventy thousand years ago. We're social primates. We actually people say they don't need to be around people. We're social primates. We it's important for our mental health that we're actually around people. And actually, all of this automation, all of these things, is uh it's not it's depersonalizing it it is and the thing is i think it's conditioning people or it's reinforcing this idea that people don't want to be with people they don't want to be bothered they don't want to be interrupted they don't want to be you know and i suppose it's like these um cons these scams are contributing to that as well you know it's so people are becoming more and more isolated, I think, is the trouble. This isn't the conversation I expected to have. So how... It's organically gone where it's needed to, I guess. <laughs> okay, good. So how do you... If your specialisation is relation, specialization is relationships, how do you go about forging relationships then if these are the barriers? It's... Um... So I think whenever whenever you communicate with that, so say it's a new customer, uh, if you're not meeting face-to-face, uh, show yourself on the camera, show that you're a human being, look, look presentable. I'm not saying you need, need one, we don't need to wear dinner jackets today, bow ties or suits with, you know, bad ties and stuff, but... I think you need to, so building that relationship, be visible uh, through, through whatever medium, show that you're actually speaking to a human uh, and uh, be interested, do your homework on them, understand the business, 
that they're working in, understand their role, and then understand the potential challenges that they have, and then be really clear in actually how you can actually take away those challenges. It's all about doing homework. It's all about being prepared. It's like, you know, when you, if you speak, it's like, as you say, if you go out to a restaurant with friends, uh, go out to your restaurant with your friends and eat and drink and actually talk to them. Don't be there on your phone. That to me, otherwise, what's the point? You may as well just sit in front of your laptop screen and eat food there and just talk to each other or, or read the Daily Mail. Or, or something really so yeah. it's invest in that person yeah be obs don't be obsessive understand who they are where they are what they're doing what their career has and know as much as possible about it be interested in them be enthusiastic be smile yeah try and Make, make it make them feel like they actually want to talk to you that you're actually giving something to them of value and stuff yeah so yeah that is really important you know you could send an email but as you say actually one thing i found even when i was in the public sector now is we whatsapp people now i use whatsapp because it's instantaneous really and you can actually have a quick whatsapp call but as you said, I wouldn't. You wouldn't send a meeting invite, but um, one of the one of the great customers we have have been speaking to them this week. I've just been WhatsApping, going, "Are you free on Friday?" So you know, it's it really important that you build those relationships. But I do actually think you should meet people, and I don't know how you feel about that, but. Uh, People buy from people. Uh, you surely you want to. If you're going to spend a million pounds with someone, you're going to want to see that person. You're going to want to see the team that's delivering it. You want because you you're going to have relationships with these people. If you're working with these people over a year and it's your head on the line that you you you're paying a million pounds for this. Uh, you're going to want to think that you're going to have some sort of relationship with these people and that you get on or that if you have a disagreement that you can get through it in an amicable way. Yes, 100%. You see, I say to people that really um, what you want to do is, is escalate the engagement as quickly as you can. So when I was... Uh, cold calling people the mission was to qualify them to work out actually if there's a benefit in pursuing this conversation but having identified that there is then the mission would be to get face to face with them and then what you want to do is get to a, a point where you're buying them lunch or you're taking them to a sports event or you're playing golf or you're doing whatever it is and then jokingly I say where you want to get to is where your godfather to their kids you know, that's the point. And, and and I say that because I did this in South Africa. And the, the beautiful thing about South Africa is that you'll meet someone and if they like you, they will invite you to their house, like on the first meeting. Now, I've known people for 30 wow. years in the UK, and I've never been to their house, you know, 
But in South Africa, that will happen. And I remember what happened one time is I was chasing a prospect, a, a client, and and they and and the people in my team said to me, "You're wasting your time there because he's housemates basically with our competition." And what housemates meant is they go around each other's houses. So every time they have a barbecue, they'll be at each other's houses. So you're never going to shift that relationship. Um, what's the point of saying this? The point of saying this, I suppose, is that still has to be the mission. You don't actually have to be godparents to their kids, but that still should be the mission to have as good and strong and close a relationship as possible. Um, but maybe the tech is putting more steps in the way. And, and maybe... Tech, sorry? Sorry. So yeah. Also, tech, though, means that you're getting more outreach. So I'm a salesperson. I'm trying to find prospects, new business, new logos, customers. But I'm, in the last couple of years, I'm being salty. Right. Uh, everyone's selling to everyone at every level. Uh, so pe why, why are people trying to sell to me? They're trying to sell me lead generation. Yeah, don't have marketing. We'll automate it for you. Trying to sell me to come to this conference. Trying to sell me people. Everything. That never happened, uh, you know, when I first started off uh, in sales. Yeah. My, my job was to sell to people. Now... I've, I'm trying to sell to people, and people are trying to sell to me. Yes. It's, so, uh, there's been a paradigm shift. Uh, but so what happens then is you're trying to do your job, and, you know, say, say you're a developer and you're on LinkedIn. There could be people trying to sell you courses on there, you know. Yeah. Do this course. You'll earn 200k, you'll drive a fast car, or would you like this training, or would you like to join this group? Would you like to do this and that? So, we're all trying to do our jobs using data, technology, automation, but we're also getting sold to as well. And comes to your point is it's getting to overload. You're doing your job, you're trying to use LinkedIn. I'm looking at Martin and thinking, wow, what a, what a guy, what. And we're talking today but then i suddenly go through my messages and there's someone saying can i help you with your recruitment can i help you with lead generation can i help you with this would you like to go to this conference would you like to have this meeting where you get access to 30 key stakeholders from around the world could you would you join this to like give feedback on a previous company you worked on it's just too much it there's is no too balance much. And the, we're in the, the Wild West stage at the moment, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I think we're in the Wild well, I don't There's know. No I, I, I think it's always been the Wild West, but now it's the Wild West on overdrive because the more yeah. automation there is, the more, um, you know, we've said this already, the more automation there is, the more volume there is, the more interrupted we are, the more agitated by it we are the the more skeptical we are the more resistant we are you know it doesn't actually i mean it's a fine line i think if it's going to work and i don't think it i don't think it is going to work like you can do like we all do i have done some very basic automation on on linkedin you know i can buy a bot and it'll cost me 15 dollars and it will do, I mean, there's no value in it anymore because they've limited it now, but I could invite 100 yeah. people a day. 
you know, and if yeah. 20 of those people invited, I could do the, the follow-up message. And then by that point, if they're still engaging, then I know that I should be involved. It seems very contradictory that what you and I are looking to do is have a relationship with these people. And the fact that we've outsourced this to lines of code, the, the, the very door opening bit, um, it seems to me is just um, counterintuitive. What's that? Forgive me. It could be generational. So I speak to people of different generations. It's not necessarily speaking to people of my generation. Um, And then we, even within my generation, there are people have different personalities. Some people can say no really quickly. Other people can't say no and get sucked into conversations and they get anxious and nervous about it. But I found with other generations, and I look at my kids as well, um, I'm going to say it, my kids can sit in a, we sit in the living room and everyone's on their phones and they could be communicating to each other on their phones. Well, whereby I was growing up, we didn't have the ability to do that, to be fair. So I've sort of been conditioned differently. But we'd sit there and say, should we play Monopoly? And we'd pay for 10 minutes and give up because it was boring. We knew this game was going (laughs) to take too many hours. So I am cognizant as well that, and this comes back to trying to understand who you're speaking to, you know, what generation are they? We remember a world before the internet. There are some people who have grown up. There are really successful people in the 20s who I speak to. You've done way more than me. I'm not jealous of what they are. I'm really fortunate and lucky that I get to speak to them and to sort of, you know, sort of get their experience or get their superhero stories of how they did things. Now, they may not, a lot, some of those people, they may not, they don't value a call or that, quite like the messaging. So it's a tough one, really. I think but it comes back to what we're saying from a sales is you understand who you're talking to. Yeah, the, the more you yeah. do, the better. And it's about, um, it's about, uh, it's about, uh, t- what's this? It's about engaging with them in the in the way that it's going that they find sort of like less uh, threatening, if you yes. see what I mean. So this is why I mean I really do quite worry about the generations that are coming behind us, because when I engage with them, I find them at the same time grossly insensitive to other people's needs. And grossly sensitive to their needs, you know, unbelievably easily offended and actually at the same time, unbelievably offensive. Do you know what I mean? It's like and and what we're seeing is like like we say, all these horrible statistics, um, anxiety, self-harm, depression, um, suicide, all these all these are scarily high. Um but we've also given them these things to hide behind. So I have lost count of the amount of times I've heard someone say, I'm too anxious to speak on the phone. So I can't speak to you, you know. But it used to be that it was just good manners. So you can be as anxious as you like. The priority is that you have manners and you get on and you 
engage with people and you make arrangements and you keep those arrangements, you know. So I do worry for those, for the generations that are coming way, behind us. How did we evolve? At some stage, we made sounds, be it like, you know, imagine meeting the first person. Imagine the person who created a drum and then banged the drum and people thought, this is drum and bass, let's dance to it. This music's brilliant. And at some stage in the future, we'll electrify it and it, electronify it. I don't know if that word exists. If it does, and I've <laughs> invented it and I'll become famous, people will remember this conversation Hope 10,000 so. years. But we evolved to actually speak. We evolved languages, writing. Yeah. But we yes. evolved to actually speak. This makes us different from other animals. Uh, and now we're saying we can't speak to each other. We have to use something inorganic to communicate. That just doesn't, if you believe in mother nature and things like that, just doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like this is what mother nature would want. We, we evolved that we can have this conversation now and yes. we can say things, we can express whether I'm happy, I'm not happy. I need help or can you just make me feel, you know, give me some support. But how do you communicate that in a text? Or let's just have a stupid conversation or let's just do something stupid. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what was I thinking? I was thinking, um, you see, I think like because everyone talks about these younger generations being very entitled. And I think that the digitization of media, for example, where everything is available on demand, has stolen from us a sense of occasion, of getting something that we weren't expecting. So I remember when That's I was it. a kid, yeah. my dad would tell me, the good, the bad, and the ugly is on TV in two weeks' time, and you and I are going to sit up and watch it. And, and You take the radio times, I would put a circle around it or something. Exactly, yeah. And like, have to rem remember to myself that we got to actually watch that. Yeah, and but me and my dad are sitting down and watching this together, and it stops at nine o'clock and the news comes on and then it continues after nine o'clock. So I'm up way after my bedtime and no one else is up. It's just me and my dad and the whole house is in darkness. And there was a sense of occasion. And it's like, you're a little bit behind me. So I don't know if Snooker died before, but I remember going to, into school on a Monday and everybody and had been watching up. the Snooker the night before, you know, and everybody yeah. is talking about that same thing. So that sense of like shared media, that sense of community that comes out of that, I think has been lost, you know, because if I want to watch, I've got the good, the bad and the ugly on one of my, I was going to say, I've got it on my computer, which I haven't, I've got it on a streaming service so I can watch it whenever I like. So what's the sense in watching it? You know, I've got Spotify, I've got 400 of my favorite songs ever because every time I remember a song that's brilliant, I put it on this list. So whenever I'm driving yeah. anywhere, I'm being played my favourite songs all the time. So it hasn't happened me, to me for years where I've been listening to the radio and my favourite song comes on and I get a kick out of that. Do you know what I mean? So We call this the fear of discovering new music, the, the fear of discovering, of not discovering new music because you listen to your 400 favourite songs on Spotify. Instead of doing that, you may have, can't believe I'm mentioning the radio in 2022. Because, I did uh, it first. You're right, man. But yeah, I'm, I'm in a safe space. Uh, but 
listen to radio and all your friend would say you need to listen to this band or yes. you know borrow this tape but actually i've realized now on spotify i listen to the same music from the 70s the 80s the 90s etc i discovered fleetwood mac no interest in that type of music i thought but during lockdown i heard a song and i was like i didn't know what that was in fleetwood mac and i quite like a bit of their other stuff so i'm now going to go and discover other stuff in the 70s and maybe 60s but like you, if I go to the gym or if I'm in the car, I've got that list of predetermined songs that, uh, you know, the, the ones that I lean on if I need to be lifted or elevated or if I yeah. need just to be made happy, you've got those things. So, again, yeah. I'm not, we're not doing that discovery. And again, just in sales, it feels a lot more sort of black and white. And I don't know, maybe it, isn't for everyone i i still think we need to keep that human element uh in sales that's all i really i really think so it's more effective that way yes i mean the, where this is going which really petrifies me is like the metaverse type situation so people well you because you're selling software you might be okay uh, and i might be okay if i'm selling trainings or career development or whatever it might be people selling well people selling chairs are going to be all right because they'll be sitting on chairs i don't know people selling physical real world things uh, these people aren't going to be engaging with those things anymore that's that's what concerns me i want to have a conversation also about ai because yeah. this also scares me because i've worked in it i've used computers for the last 30 years um I know how shit computers are. You know, I got carried away and bought a new MacBook um, two months ago. I watched a 30, 40 reviews. Everyone says it's amazing. Go and buy it. I go and buy it. It crashes three or four times a week, you know. I've walked up to ATM machines and there's been the blue screen of death there because the Windows running on the ATM machine has crashed. Um, yeah. And so the, what it seems to me is that AI isn't going to be AI it's going to be what computers do. And what computers are much better at us at doing is analyzing data. But what they're not good at, to my mind, because they don't have experience, they don't have emotion, they don't have empathy, they can't possibly be good at making decisions. So you see, okay, here's the data. Now, what I'd like to see is a, is a human look at that data and say, okay, given my experience, my empathy, my emotion, my actual investment in these things, this is like a good idea. So it feels to me like AI is just going to be another, it's going to be like a God where we just give it absolute authority. And like they were saying on Little Britain 20 years ago, the computer says, no, that's actually going to mean no, there is no recourse because there is no bank manager because there is no bank because there is no branches anywhere in the world. Do you know what I mean? So this concerns me also. Am I right to be concerned? Um, I'll tell you where we are now. So a subset of AI is machine learning. What's machine learning do? It's statistical analysis. Yeah, so these are algorithms. But these are algorithms have been codified by human being. Um, 
we're not at the stage where you can type into Google and go, uh, am I going to get married? When am I going to die? Will I have children? Uh, You know, but what we, where we are is that we can, um, what, what you can't do is just throw data at something and say, tell me, and that data goes, Miss insurance company, you can increase your revenue by 20%. So what, what it involves is, is using machine learning models that you need to build uh, and train and yeah. train on lots and lots of data to actually solve a problem. But you need to know the, the problem that you solve. So when I speak to a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, what, what, if we give you access to data, do you need anything else? They yes. just like think there's a black box there. There'll be this pipe, or invisible pipe, and there'll be data going back and forth. And they'll be sent things like, we've just analysed your data today. You, you know, you can reduce 10% of your stuff and uh, you can do this and it won't impact your business. It won't do that. You need to ask good questions. So, you know, what are you trying to solve? What is the question? Well, we're trying to... So this is something when we speak to people, it is, is what are you, they go, we want to use advanced analytics or machine learning, you know, and we, we have to, and this is where I think in sales about relationship is trying to understand the problems that they have or that they don't know they have is to try to understand what it is they're trying to solve. So an example uh, could be that they maybe want to generate more sales. Um, machine learning, AI isn't going to tell you how to generate more sales. What it can do, though, is tell you where sort of the pain points, the blockers are in your process. So a pain point could be is that your sales conversion, your conversion of this digital quote and bind is uh, it's not 100% because things are being referred to an underwriter. But you, you, you look at each case that goes through, you can't maybe necessarily determine uh, that there's a high referral rate. Or you can, but there could then be a multitude of reasons. What machine learning can do is to create these models and algorithms. Once you know the problem, what the question is, can then actually start to... Uh, use machine learning to actually see if you can solve that problem. What, what does success of that problem look like? 10% increase, 20%, 30%? The AI isn't going to tell you uh, what success looks like. So again, it's you're using technology to enable an outcome that you wouldn't have been able to do 20 years ago. Allah like me saying, Martin, I need to end this call now. The bank's going to end. The bank's going to close in 40 minutes and I need to put this check in. If I don't do it in the next 40 minutes, uh, I'm going to have no uh, money to go uh, Sainsbury's next week. This technology that we've got now takes away that pain, but you still, as a human, need to ask good questions. So your bit about the AI that we're not at that stage where it's a real artificial intelligence, but... As we've seen with everything in life, uh, things in the technology space are accelerating. Uh, there are There is that opportunity in the future that 
that we do get a true AI, I guess. But at the moment, we're training it. It's human models. It learns off that data. And actually, over time with those models, it can actually learn itself because it's got so it's got access to so much data it can see trends and patterns in there that the human brain we just couldn't do that using paper and stuff isn't yeah. it scary absolutely and i guess there are a lot of people though in the industry talking about ethics because uh, there isn't a standard set of rules uh martin uh there are many uses of applications of AI and ML within business, within our lives. But what we've not agreed as uh, a country or a, a continent or as a group of countries is, you know, what, you know, where, what are the boundaries? Yes. There's lots of discussion and I know people, there are people sort of working to sort of, uh, common standards or principles but my honest belief is based on where we started and where we've ended up is that it will happen but and again if that happens is it's i think we're going to need to have rules so where where do we draw the line yeah see i think a number of things about this i think artificial isn't like, so if I think about artificial grass, it isn't grass. It isn't anything like as good as grass. If I think about artificial Christmas trees, they're not Christmas trees. They're nothing like as good as Christmas trees. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm yeah. not worried at all that it's going to become so clever that it takes over. What I'm worried about is that society is going to go, now it's so clever, everything is going to be decided by computers. And the thing about machine learning, people get very excited. But like you say, it goes back to the original developer. And when I think about these things, I think about my friend Johan in um, South Africa, because we were part body shop. So we would have contractors in the market, part solution house, because we had the license to um, sell a software that was accelerated programming. So basically, yeah. we would like it was on AS400s and, and mainframes and stuff. And so basically, yeah, Johan, like I was, part of my job was to look after Johan. He's our resource in their business. And he'd be mad because the, the IT manager or the software development manager or whatever is challenging him. What are you doing? And he's like, don't challenge me. Don't challenge me. I build things, you know. And he's using this accelerated coding stuff to just create, create, create. And he's doing it at four o'clock in the morning, high off his face on Red Bull, you know, and it's like mistakes are made. So I always think yeah. of Johan. So you can talk to it about machine learning, but before that machine learn, there was, and that machine learn, and that machine learn, and that machine, there was Johan building things and refusing to be challenged, you know? So that's what scares me is that actually the society, and it's already happening, where they say, okay, this is now the higher authority, this is now the higher power, the computers decided. You know, there's there's nothing you can do about it, and that is going on. And there is another thing about this that concerns me. Oh, Elon Musk putting chips in people's heads. That's, you know, it's terrifying. But Pete, you say that, I would say that, but if we were to ask people, if he was to put a survey on Twitter or something, 
or, or whatever the platforms he's on and actually said to people, uh, I could give you a chip. This would help you. Um, it would pick up these uh, early stage signs of these health conditions or it would help you to concentrate more or to read better. They're saying it um, will help paraplegics to walk again, you know, so this yeah. is the pitch. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, let, let me not be hypothetical. If you're a paraplegic and you have that opportunity to walk again, um, I think there would be a lot of people in that situation, like me, who wanted to speak to my cousin in India and used his email. I want to know more about that. I'd like yes. to do that. Yeah, and so this is the fear, is that it's always sold on the convenience. So um, Elon Musk's chip in the head isn't going to be available to the end of the year, apparently. But they are now in Sweden um, inserting chips with people's um, vaccination status into their hands. Yeah, You know, that is like how inconvenient is it to pull a piece of paper out of your pocket and show it to somebody, you know? So, or I mean, even that... on your app. Or even have it on your app, built in standards that means it's on an Android or an Apple device. Yeah. That... So when I was in Romania, I had to show evidence uh, of my vaccinations in the UK uh, before I could buy a drink in a pub or something. So, yeah, that's really convenient. Really, do I need to carry a chip on that? Is that... I hear you. I feel like that's a stage too far. But I guess yeah, with so, this technology, where we're going is we're sort of, uh, what's the word? Uh, we're combining with it. We we really are. And this is, yeah, this is exactly what's happening. So I teach digital marketing. So there was always been a bit at the end where it's like future technology, whatever. And people are talking about the chips. And they've been talking about 2022, I'm not joking, since about 2013. 2022 will be the year. 2022 will be the year. But two years ago, that still felt like a long way away. In Sweden, it's going. Like the the stated benefit paraplegics can walk, perfectly justified if that's the case. Scary, but perfectly justified. Oh, you don't have to get your phone out to show someone your vaccination status. That's insane, like, that's insane laziness. Think, well, there'll be some people who'd be on the phone. And yes. go, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like that. It's, uh, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. It's, uh, we're kind of covering a lot. We're talking about sales, but we're talking about automation as well and AI. And I guess for me is, uh, I'm, I've only, most of my life has been in delivery and technical roles, but I've had like the privilege of working on really big projects with people. And it was really good fun when we uh, went live. I really love sales and I wish I wish I started it earlier in my career, but for sales in the future, I feel a lot of it will, you will have, you will use bots, you will use AI. You, you you will use automation to take away those activities. Now, some of them, they should be taken away. You know, can you send out 5,000 emails? Um, you know, that's, that's boring as well. No one really would want to do that, you would think. So you can do something more of high value. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know, like, certainly in the next five years and stuff, how we are... Uh, 
actually one of the questions you're going to ask martin about uh what sort of books to read i'm going to be really there's i'm going to be controversial or boring uh to people when i was in you can't Cap- be controversial when, and boring yeah when i was in capita yeah i see what i say now when i was in capita i did training with a company called revenue storm absolutely amazing would recommend that to anyone also did miller hyman training i had a bit of a hang-up about miller hyman because it's been around for a really really long time but actually when i did the training do you know what it's a lot a lot of what they're actually getting you to do is to understand the person to be prepared so when you meet someone you're not going well tell me your problems what keeps you up at night how can i help you that's that's so intellectually lazy people don't have the time for that now controversial a lot of people don't like miller hyman but actually what miller hyman i thought was really good is actually you're preparing you actually invested in that person so that you actually have a meaningful conversation and actually they feel that there's something of value that you could sell to them that could make them the way that i like to say is you want to when you're selling to someone you want to make them famous when they brought this that they think that they're going to be celebrated in their company people are going to think he's a genius for for buying that or or using that company so i actually miller hyman this actually i hate doing preparation you just want to go in there and smile and and have a bit of magic and charm but because people are so busy automation hasn't given us more time we've got less time it feels like i think i would say to people have a have a read of their books uh, or, or speak to someone you know like uh revenue store read read the stuff that they do because it is all about understanding the problem that you're trying to solve and you you can automate that to an extent but you're not going to get the sale, I don't think. Yeah. The thing is, I think what we're talking about is an age old B2B sales and marketing issue, which is how do you cut through the noise and the junk to get to the person that you can be supporting and, um, and actually making that happen, you know, so that is age old. And I think the thing about automation is it's not, it's just increasing the noise. So it's part of the reason that people are less available is because they are more bombarded with these messages. So now your message has to be cuter. It has to be better. It has to be. So is a computer going to help you to do that? It's just going to make people more skeptical. So I'm with you 100%. I think it's about relationships. And I think and I hope that that continues to be the case, you know, or that continues to be the opportunity at least. Because otherwise, they're just going to automate the sales process, automate the procurement process, and there's what there, there, you know, it's that that's the what alternative. Do people do? What if you want to do sales? What? Yeah, I hear you. And the next time we have this conversation in uh, ten years or twenty years, it will be our avatars in the metaverse, uh, and there may not necessarily be physical entities of us left. No, you, you don't know. If you meet an avatar of me in the metaverse, 
Will you do me a favour and just come round my house and shoot me in the face wherever I'm plugged in? Because no, I'll report you to it. It's because someone took a picture of you and said, this, I want this avatar. But, you know, interestingly about AI for a uh, sales CRM, um, say you're selling Salesforce solutions, you, you put your opportunity in, in, in as a lead. I'm saying this in case my boss is listening. You then, you know, qualify it, put the opportunity in. What... What if you had tens of thousands of opportunities in there, won or lost? What if AIML could actually help you say, the probability of you winning this is quite low because of these reasons, because you put in the, again, it's all about the data you put in. You can't just put in the opportunities for two years. It's a hundred million pounds, um, you know, 40% margin. If you, again, what I said about ML, if you, you need data though. You need to train it on lots and lots of data. But you also need to capture that data to be able then train it, etc. Is what if that what if in you know the C CRM you're using, it could actually give you a probability of actually closing that. How would you feel about that? Would you believe it? No. If it said you had a 30% and then your sales director who's uh, 20 years younger than you and actually says, I believe the software, let's do it. You should close it. Would you close it? Or would you look to actually say, these are the improvements, recommendations it's making. This is what you actually need to do. <clears throat> I think, I don't know what the answer, I know your answer to it, but I'm curious as to, there's someone out there, surely, there are people working on this problem. So that's actually going to happen. It's actually happening now. I know there are companies doing it. But yeah, that that to me is something that could impact me, curiously. And I'm actually trying to sell to someone else. So I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I wouldn't believe it. I still feel you need to qualify it, but also give evidence and proof of how you're actually going to close that opportunity. But that day isn't far off. I think that day is a long way off. And I'll tell you why. It's because what we're imagining is that somehow we're going to be able to comp com uh, produce computer softwares or computer programs that are going to fix the world. That's not the case. Like, you can't, you can't create a... Um, you know, you have to have the fix in the real world and then you can replicate it on the software is what you can do. So what you've gone to is something that I think is at the very heart of like business to business sales and the, almost the very definition of why you need a business to business salesperson because that person should be there qualifying the likelihood of that happening. Um, using their actual, not artificial intelligence, their actual intelligence. Because what you're doing is relying on, not a computer, but you're relying on the emotions of the person coming around in your favor to actually do the thing. And yeah, as opposed to probability. Exactly. And so what, yeah. the, the, the reason this can't be computerized or digitized or artificial or AI'd or whatever it might be, is because that's not actually what B2B salespeople are spending their time doing. They should be spending their time qualifying the opportunity and working out where they should be spending, investing their resources, their time and their you energy. Be doing that, you should also be 
So would you buy from a brand you've never heard of? No, unlikely. You know, why, if you, if there was software, if there was a CRM that was built by someone, but you never heard of them, but you knew of Microsoft Dynamics, I would more likely go with Microsoft Dynamics because I know it's a big company. It would be reliable. If anything goes wrong, there's, you know, so salespeople, you need to do your opportunities. But how do you build the brand of your company? You you can't completely automate that. You've got to have some sort of human involvement in driving your messages. And, you know, and then once you've got some brand, people know what you're famous for. You then, what what's your credibility? You need yes. case studies or stories or videos. Yes. You know, what? What do you know? What would be really powerful if was if I was speaking to someone in financial services and they said, uh, "We love your company. We're a good fit." My CFO saying though is, "Where have you done this elsewhere?" Yes. You give us some examples. Do you know what would be really nice is if I had a video. One of a customers actually saying. They're not talking about the company I work out or what we're doing, but actually saying the business benefit, uh, the the operational costs that were reduced or whatever, you know, the benchmarks are that make them extremely happy, that they articulate that in a video and you can share that with someone. Or they'd actually would entertain a phone call and say, I love working with Martin. Uh, Martin, you can give my number to, uh, to uh, Jeff Leopard. And when Jeff Leopard speaks to that person, they go, working with that organization, they've done all these projects for us. They're amazing. Yes. They've got your back. See, the thing is, that I think that's really important. I think that's what, and when I train salespeople, this is what I tell them, is actually you're, you should be deciding who you sell to. But they're not yeah. doing that. And where you invest your time and energy, what they're not doing that is they're just trying to, build as much pipeline as they possibly can and the way you do that is by not allowing or giving people the opportunity to say no you know so so that's why you can't computerize that because that's what a salesperson should be doing but nobody in the real world is actually doing that you know so or very few people in the real world are actually doing that so i think it's really interesting we've gone for an hour and a half already man Unbelievable. It feels like, you know, it's the Joe, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. This is something like he would go. He would go, wow, we've just gone for four hours. Now, yes. what I meant to say is I can't believe we've just gone for an hour and a half because actually it's been fun. We've actually had fun. That's really important because we only live once and life yes. is too short. So be happy and have fun. But actually there are some things I'll take away from this, Martin. Yeah, is uh, we've got some hot opportunity, hot prospects, hot leads that we're actually deal dealing with at the moment. And even though sometimes you talk about what you should do, you know, I'm going to go to the gym today and do this and that, but you don't actually end up doing it. Is well, what am I going to take away from today? Is uh, actually there's someone I need to phone. Yes. I'm going to reach out to them because I'm meeting them next week. And uh, instead of just waiting to actually meet to them, and it's really important that we meet them next week. So I feel like there's an opportunity where 
we can do amazing things for them. It's actually, I'm going to give them a call today and actually talk a bit about it. Excellent. And why I've actually got them out and stuff, really. And it- I enjoy doing that. So if anyone who's listening to this conversation, no doubt there'll be over a billion a billion likes for this on YouTube. This will be on the front page <laughs> of the Daily Mail and the Guardian. Yeah, Boris Johnson will talk about this to deflect from the other things. Is uh, actually, yeah, I enjoyed doing that. So I actually have a job where I can do that. So I'm going to do more of it. Yeah, and this is what I think is amazing. It's like nobody likes sales nobody likes being sold to but actually if the job is about making friends with people then what what better way is there to to make a living and they buy something from your company you get paid a little bit of commission for it you can buy a pizza or you can buy a car for your wife or a pair of shoes whatever then you know the world's a better place for that Yes. And the thing I'm remembering is that what good salespeople are doing is looking for an opportunity to speak to their customer. You know, always it's like, how can I have, how can I justify having a conversation with my customer? Now, how can I, and, and trying to make every conversation you have with them add a little bit more value to their situation. I think that's what so good salespeople do. I think you should produce t-shirts with that, with Martin Henley on the back, number 10, because you're the lean or messy uh, within your profession. And on the front, it should say, looking for an opportunity to speak to a customer. I hear you. Because of that, it, if you don't have those opportunities, then there's no opportunity. No. Uh, uh, so the, I hear you, actually. That's the second takeaway. Find an op- find more opportunities to speak to customers, which yes. then means trying to understand more problems to solve to them. See what they're doing. Do some homework. Usually in the, the network on LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean that's a powerful way of ending. Look, find more opportunities to speak to customers. Good, real, genuine ones. Yes, uh, real opportunities to add value to their lives. That's that's what we're interested in. No, Good. I've connected with you, and this is the third message. So on the third message, I now have to get that meeting set up. And yes. here's the meeting details. Please put it in. Have a great weekend, blah, blah, blah. Potentially. Good. Right, so the only thing we've got outstanding is um, – most people like to refer at least a couple of people that they think might benefit from this conversation and benefit my currently tiny audience um, yeah. with this uh, with a conversation. Who do you think, who do you know who might fit into those categories? I've got three people immediately who uh, I think would be up for this. Cool. Should I'd, I say that? If you could, I, yeah, that would be cool, <laughs> yeah. Victor Padding uh, works in the payment space. Uh, Tim Hathaway, uh, he's an account director within Hitachi Consulting. Jamie Barda, who's been a salesperson, but has now moved in the coaching and mentoring space as well. So he's having to like sell that. I think those would be, they're three very different people with three very different backgrounds. And uh 
if you're willing and they're willing to talk, I think you'll have an interesting conversation. Fantastic. Who was the first one? Somebody Paddy. Yeah, I'll send you... Uh, I'm going to automate that bit. So I'll send you that <laughs> on LinkedIn. I'll, do you know what? If now, you could this, do a little introduction like Ben did with you. and that, But that's important because, because Ben did that, yeah, and made it personable. I was like, I felt obliged. I felt bad when I had to miss, I had to reschedule the other two times. So I don't want to let him down. So I think this kind of reinforces what we're talking about. It really so does, I'll be yeah. doing those, uh, this morning for you. Fantastic. Like put a, an invitation together, uh, 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 introduction together like Ben did. That's yeah. first prize. I've thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been really interesting. And I think even though it feels like, like we have been talking about the age-old challenge of sales and marketing, which is how do you find and engage with, um, with prospective customers? And so I think it's all been very relevant. The headline is going to be what you said about making your customer a hero in their business. So when I go yeah. through and I transcribe it, I will pull that out. That will be the headline. You're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for your time, Robbie. You've bit. I love you to bits. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend. And yeah, I honestly, I'll end on this bit. Even though I re remember it, that I am now going to find more opportunities to speak to customers because that's what sales is about. Thank you very much, and I hope we speak soon. It's been the greatest of pleasures. And maybe in three, four, five months, we'll, have, we'll do another one of these, if that's cool. That'd be fantastic. I love you to bits too, Robbie. Thank you so much, man.